So for those who don't know, I'm a former school teacher. I just, I'm a teacher by heart. So this is a classroom. If you have a question, just shoot your hand up. And when I pause for a breath, I will call on you and, you know, add a thought, add a question. It's more of a discussion, a conversation, anything else. I'm not a three-point sermon and an altar call kind of guy, but um, we'll, uh, we'll learn a lot today. So last week, Jeremy talked about the idolatry of knowledge, and I thought that was really profound because this tree that tempted Adam and Eve that was there was, if you recall, it's better translated as the tree of defining good and evil, the tree of you deciding what is good and evil on your own terms. The tree of moral relativity, relativity we might say. And um, we're introduced to a new character in this narrative of the Bible. Who was that new character that we were introduced to last week? Anybody know? In Hebrew, it's the nachash. The snake, the serpent. Nachash is also the word for copper, but it's also the word for a serpent. And that's what Moses raises up on a stake later. Remember this, when the, the fiery serpents are going through, he raises up a serpent. And he raises up a, a, a nachash. And everyone who looked at that was healed of this plague, right? And um, we're introduced to the serpent. And what is it, how does it describe the nachash? What is, what is he like? Crafty. Crafty, yeah. Crafty. It says that he's arom. He's crafty. And it's very closely connected to the word for naked, arum. It's the same root. And here's kind of a, just a general principle. You know, we're just three chapters in. And we've only, the, the, if you look at the Hebrew Bible, for instance, there's probably just a, a handful of major vocabulary words that we've hit so far, like maybe a few dozen, I don't know, unique vocabulary words. But in these first three chapters of the book of Genesis holds kind of the, the cycle of all human history, the, the sinful and then redemptive cycle of all of human history right here in these first three chapters. So you're going to see things that are symbolic very symbolic for things that will continue to play out and unwind throughout human history as the narrative continues, as the human story continues through time. So for instance, um, anytime you see people detach themselves from God's presence, the further they get from craving God's presence and, and seeking God and fearing God and communing with God, you, you're, you're exposing your physical body more. It's just a general principle. You'll see that, you know, um, Go to, go to South Beach, Miami on a, you know, any summer day. Very godless city, uh, very, very, very liberal city, um, and, and very detached from the fear of God, right? And what do you see? You see a lot of people flaunting nakedness. They're arom, their nakedness, they're, they, and they have no shame, right? Also, we see in the book of Genesis the command to be fruitful. Command to be fruitful. And you remember me talking a few weeks back, who is the most fruitful people group in the United, in, at least in North America right now? The Amish are. Yeah, in another 200 years, if they continue on this trajectory, they will be the majority people group in, the North, in North America. The Amish will. So again, anytime you see people drawing away from the presence of God or the principles of God, anytime you see people detaching themselves from that, what do you see? You don't see an increase in fruitfulness. You see a decrease in fruitfulness, physical fruitfulness. You see a, de- a decrease in birth rates. Um, and, and that is playing out today in Western civilization. We have whole people groups that are beyond the point of being able to reproduce themselves. They're, they're dying out, essentially. So a lack of fruitfulness. 
But you'll see that anytime, you know, these, these very basic words and vocabulary words are symbols for something that will play out much larger in the future and as, as time goes on and are still very relevant to today. So let's pick up in chapter four and we'll continue this story here, this narrative. Remember, uh, Adam and Eve were exiled out of the garden. In which direction did it say they were exiled? To the east, yeah. And they were removed from God's presence, right? And he says, you've eaten the fruit. And he says, you mot tamut, you will surely die. Because exile is death. Exile, spiritual exile is a form of death. And there's physical death that comes along with this now. And then he says that he put in the, in the Garden of Eden these keruvim, which are special angels that are guardian angels that are, were also, there was, a, there was pictures of them on the Ark of the Covenant facing each other. And when we say the prayer, um, when they face each other, remember the, the, they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of glory. That's what they're saying above the Ark of the Covenant. The Keravim are saying that before the throne of God. And they're holding a flame of flaming sword to turn in every direction to guard the way of the tree of life. So where is the Garden of Eden today? Is it, a, is it a geographical location or is it a symbol or is it, um, is it something that we can find today? Um, I'll give you a hint. Look in the book of Ezekiel and maybe you can tell me uh, next week where the, the Garden of Eden is. You know, the sages say the Garden of Eden is the Temple Mount. I don't know. Um, but let's go to chapter four now, now that we've kind of recapped a little bit. It said the man Yadad. Uh, with Chava, his wife. Now, this is implying that he had sex with his wife, and she conceived. And she gave birth to Cain, or Cain. And she said, I have Kana. And see the play on words there. His name means an acquisition. She says, I have acquired a man. Now, let's pause right here. What did God say to Adam and Eve in reference to the serpent? He said, I will put enmity between your seed and him, right? Do you guys remember that? When he told Eve that, he said, I will put enmity, meaning like you guys will fight. But he, this meaning her seed, will crush the serpent's head and then he will bruise your seed's heel. That's it. That's all he says. And we call that the first messianic reference, the first hint at there will be a redeemer that will come and he will punish the one that tempted you and brought you, brought you death and exile. So what is Eve thinking now? Here it is, her seed, perhaps. Is this the redeemer that was promised that will crush the head of the serpent? So she says, this is Eve talking here. She says, I have kana, I've acquired a man et Adonai, Yudhe Now, if you're just reading this straight across in Hebrew and there's no translations, here's what it would literally read. I have born or I have acquired the Lord. Or I have acquired the, the Targum, the Targum Jonathan, the ancient Aramaic uh, translation of the Hebrew Bible, says that I have acquired the, I have born the angel of Yudhe Vavhe. Interesting. Is she thinking maybe? I don't know. So there's a couple different options here. Is that she thinks she's giving birth to the Redeemer. That's crushing the head of the serpent. Or we're to assume that she means with the help of the Lord. 
But either way, we're going to see that this might be correct theology, meaning she knows that the Redeemer has to have divine attributes to him. The Redeemer has to be special. He has to be someone who's above this curse of sin and death. She believes that, perhaps. But her timing is off, right? She's a little bit early in the game, perhaps. But she says, I have acquired a man et yudhe Or I have acquired and born the angel of the Lord. How's that going to work out? In verse 2. In addition, she gave birth to his brother, Havel. Now, who's the firstborn here? Cain is. Cain, yeah. Now, Havel kept sheep while Cain worked the soil. Now, right away, we're being set up for an idea of who these guys are, their character. And we're being set up where Havel is kind of the hero of the story already because he's a shepherd. And that means that he's someone who defends animals and he's looking after animals to bring other people sustenance and provision whereas uh, Cain not so much he's working the soil he's got something he's got a job that is is requiring less work of him per se whereas the shepherd has to be on guard has to get out his staff his slingshot or whatever he has to sleep out in the field he's already being set up as someone who's kind of higher character and moral standing in verse 3, it says, in the Kate's Yamim, I could literally translate that without playing any kind of silly games or massaging anything. I could literally translate that in the last days. In the Kate's, in the final days, Cain brought an Mincha, an offering. Now, is this supposed to hint to the prophetic nature of the story? Perhaps, maybe. But it says that Cain brought a mincha to the Lord, a meal offering to the Lord from the what? Produce of the soil. Whereas Hevel, too, brought from the firstborn of his sheep, including their fat. Now, this is interesting to me. It raises some questions for me, at least. This is the first time we see a willful offering to the creator. We see human beings deciding to take a piece of their livelihood, what they live off of, calories. And you got to remember that in those times, it was probably pretty hand to mouth in terms of your survival and the acquisition of calories. And they're taking just a small portion of that and giving it to the creator and making a contract with the creator. And they're telling the creator, I'm going to give you a piece of my livelihood if you give me something in return. What is that something in return? I don't know. It's probably like provision, probably protection. But we see the difference in these two characters. One is giving from the produce and one is doing what? He's having to shed blood. And he's having to take from one of his flock that he spends so much time to defend. And he's almost like becoming the very thing that he's defending his sheep against so that he can make this contract with the creator. Now, what happened when Adam and Eve clothe themselves what do they clothe them clothe themselves with not skins fig leaves fig leaves which is a play on words as well because the hebrew for fig is really closely related to the hebrew word for excuses they clothe themselves with the product of what grows out of the ground and they clothe themselves with that 
But then what does the creator do? He sheds blood. He gives them animal skins. And he's setting up this precedence that where you mess up, there has to be the shedding of blood. There has to be this sacrifice of a life, life for life. And so I would assume that Cain and Abel, Chavel, they know that. That an acceptable sacrifice requires the shedding of blood. But here it is. It says, Adonai accepted Chavel and his offering. But he did not accept the offering of Cain. Cain was very chara, meaning like seething with anger. And his face fell, his panim fell, which it wasn't like his face fell off. It was like his countenance fell. Why? Because he knew that his, his games were not really accepted. His manipulation was not going to pass the test. His attempts at looking righteous, his feeble attempts at looking like he's pious, were unaccepted. In verse 6, And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why are you so downcast? If you are doing what is tov, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what is tov, sin is ramatz at your door. Now, this is like crouching like an animal waiting to pounce. Last night, I was playing hide and seek with my boys after dinner, and it was dark. And I went outside and I put on a dark coat. And uh, I was doing this thing because I can't keep up with them running wise. They run too fast. And they were running around the house. And I would get them like running around the house. And then I would um, jump in the shadows. And so like the, the light from the house was spilling out into the porch. And so I was jumping in the shadows under our porch just next to the house. And I was laying there. I was like, oh, I'm like sin crouching at the door, you know. <laughs> and what I was doing, I was, I was waiting for them to run by. And then I was going to like grab them and you know, snag them, you know, and be like, we're playing freeze tag. But that's kind of the essence of what God is saying here is that this stuff called chata, sin, it's crouching at the door. And it's interesting to me because he's, he's like personifying sin. And he's giving sin like these animalistic qualities. Now, what does Yeshua say he does at the door? He stands at the door and he makes his presence known. You see the difference? Sin is sneaky, it's deceptive, it's manipulative, and it catches you, it's crafty, right? It catches you off guard. I'm just walking out the door, going to work, bam, you're in sin, right? I got you. Whereas Yeshua is like, knock, knock, knock. He's like a gentleman. He's inviting you into his presence. That's the difference, and that's why I, I don't like sneaky things. I don't like when, especially like... um even some like evangelists on TV or authors of books, they, they do sneaky things sometimes and they're kind of deceptive sometimes or they entitle their videos or their sermons weird, catchy things and they're trying to sneak you into... Uh, let's just be people of just honesty and truthfulness. Just stand at the door and knock. So it says, it stands... That, now, now, how does Peter describe sin? He says, our adversary is like what? A roaring lion prowls around, and what does it do? Seeking who it may devour. 
So again, Peter is picking up on this and, and further personifying this. But this is, if you go back to Genesis 3.16, where it says that it wants you, it's, it's using the Hebrew teshugah, where it wants you. Go back to Genesis 3.16. Genesis 3.16. This is the same kind of desire. He says, to the woman, I will greatly increase your pain in childbirth. You will bring forth children in pain. And your teshugah will be towards your husband. So picture that. Sin wants you like that. It has this desire to get you. Wow. How much more on guard do you need to be, right? And he says, but you can mashal over it. You can rule over it. Verse 8. Cain had words with Chavel, his brother. Then one time when they were in the field, he got out his AR-15 and he... No. What does it say? I don't know what he used, but he didn't use an AR-15, right? He didn't use a, a firearm. He used the depravity of his own heart to commit murder. So what fools are we to think that somehow taking away AR-15s or firearms or anything like that will cure the, the wicked condition of a man's heart? That's pretty foolish. Yet doing that to the exclusion of ignoring the sinfulness of man. And it says that when they were in the field, Cain turned on Chavel, his brother, and he killed him. And Adonai, the Lord, said to Cain, Where is Chavel, your brother? And he replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? And of course, the answer should be what? Yes, you are. You're the firstborn. You should be the guardian. Verse 10, he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's dam is crying out to me from the Adama. Verse 11. Now you are cursed from the Adama, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's dam at your hands. Now when you farm the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be like a fugitive that is wandering the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. You're banning me today. You're exiling me today from the land and from your presence. I will be a fugitive wandering the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord answered him, therefore, whoever kills Cain will receive vengeance sevenfold. And Adonai put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. Now, why didn't God just kill Cain? Yeah, that's why I'm not in charge. I would have just been like, Cain, poof. Maybe give him a chance to what? Perhaps, yeah. Um, is it possible that he, he meant to strike him, but not necessarily to kill him, but nobody knew at that time because nobody died? Yeah, yeah, perhaps. No one has seen death until this point, yeah. What if it's this? What if the greater punishment was Cain having to live with what he did? Yeah. You see... A just God sometimes lets, he lets you have to live with the pain of, and the consequences of our own sin. And that's the, that's the greater punishment. God, I'm unworthy to live. Just kill me. No, I'm just going to let you live with the consequences of your decisions. Yeah. Perhaps if, like you had mentioned, thought process on one of her sons could have been a redeemer. Mm-hmm. 
know, a really high level since yeah. he was firstborn. And removing him from that honor from his parents, <coughs> his creator, you know, it, it stripped him of everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It really threw things or twists in it a little bit. Now, this mark, unfortunately, in this wandering the earth, has been used to um, incite a lot of exploitation and racism in human history. And um, there is a, a folklore story called um, the Everlasting Jew, or sometimes called the Wandering Jew. And um, it dates back to maybe the 1200s and Middle Ages and was brought forward and kind of expounded upon and added to. And um, we get to 1921, and a book is published in Germany called, I can't read this in German, but it's The Everlasting Jew, or The Wandering Jew. And um, I have the book, I have a copy of the book, written in 1921, and this is, I mean, look how thick this is. And what it does is it describes the Jewish people as, as kind of the embodiment of Cain and the curse upon Cain. As they are now, the Jewish people are wandering the earth and having to take on themselves this curse of having killed Cain. Now, they use it to say the Jews killed Jesus, right? And now they have to live with this curse. They wander the earth. The ground is cursed for them and so on and so forth. And in 1921, this book was published in Germany. Do you think this was influential on German culture up into the 1930s and the 40s? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this book is trash, right? This book is highly anti-Semitic. And I was contemplating not even bringing it in today. And sometimes I wonder why I even have it on my shelf. I have it because there's going to be people, and there's, a, there's people right now, the movement is growing, where people are agreeing with the precepts and the principles found in this book. And what that leads us to is terrifying. We need to be people who are defenders of the Jewish people, not accusers of the Jewish people. People that, like the book of Zechariah says, that grab on to the cloak of a Jew and say, God is with you. I see the blessing upon your life. Also, unfortunately, the Mormon church, though they want really bad to bury this and to hide this, use this idea of the mark of, of Cain on, on all black people, saying that they're cursed. And for the longest time, the Mormon church would not let blacks be members of their church. It's horrible. It's satanic. And it's racist. So don't, don't get fixated on the mark of Cain. You know, personally, I, I wonder if Cain just had this mark on him. I don't know what it was, but it probably wasn't race related. It was probably just something that was easy to distinguish. And then maybe he died with that mark and it wasn't passed on. But I don't know. But just like I always say, um, be very careful of people that are obsessed with race in any way, shape, or fashion. If they're obsessed with race, I question th their, their connection to God and whether or not they are really in tune with the precepts of his kingdom. Amen. God made one race. Mm -hmm. So let's keep going. He says, I'll be a fugitive wandering the earth, and whoever uh, finds me will kill me. So he, therefore, whoever kills Cain will receive vengeance sevenfold. So Adonai put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain left the presence of Adonai and lived in the land of Nod, wandering which direction? And what is the direction of exile 100% of the time? East of Eden. Verse 17. So Cain had sexual relations with his wife. She conceived and gave birth to Hanok. Cain built a city. 
Now, anytime you see someone building a city or going to a city in the Bible, what do I always say? Bad things are about to happen. And he named the city after his son, Hanok. To Hanok was born Irad. Irad fathered Mechuyel. Mechuyel fathered Matushael. And Matushael fathered Lemek. Lemek took himself two wives. And the name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other was Silah. And Ada gave birth to Yavel. He was the ancestor of those who live in tents and have cattle. Pretty, pretty benign, right? Pretty innocent. His brother was Yuval, and he was the ancestor of all who play the lyre and the flute. Again, pretty innocent, right? Zilah, however, gave birth to Tuval Cain, who forged all kinds of tools from brass and iron. Now, traditionally, this man is the catalyst of how we get weapons of war. So we go pretty quick from being in the garden, being in the presence of God, having abundance of everything, having no death, no sin, to suddenly Tuval Cain is opening up the door to where we can bring mass destruction to the world against other human beings. Now, the sister of Tuval Cain was Naamah, now, Lemek said to his wives, Ada and Zilah, listen to me. Wives of Lemek, hear what I say. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who injured me. If Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then Lemek, 77-fold. So again, he's already kind of bragging on the fact that he's a bigger murderer than his dad. Now, how many times does Yeshua say we're to forgive our brother who sins against us? Yeah. Verse 25, Adam again had sex with his wife and she gave birth to a son. Now we're going back, we're skipping back to the, uh, I got a, a chart here, I think. Adam uh, and, and, and Eve bore a son and they named him Shet or Seth is sometimes translated, which means granted. She says, for God has Shet, he's granted me another seed in the place of Havel since Cain killed him. So what she's saying here is here's, aha, another opportunity. The first seed that was Cain was obviously spoiled. Now maybe Seth has it. Maybe there's something here. Because Havel was killed by the one I had hope in. Verse 26. To Shet too was born a son whom she called, or he called Enosh. And that is when people began to call on the Shem of now, through whose line will the Mashiach, the ultimate redeemer, the snake crusher, come down? Cain's out of question, right? Mm-hmm. Can't come through Cain. It's going to end up following Seth. Cain, the firstborn, should have been the one. It should have been through his line that Yeshua came. But it was broken. Right? Now, here in verse 1 of chapter 5, it says, Here is the toldotes of Adam. And this is the very first time that we see the word toldot is misspelled. It's missing that vav, that connective letter. It's missing. And it doesn't reappear until it's, it's misspelled dozens of times and does not reappear until Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. The word genealogy in the Hebrew Bible is spelled correctly again. And it's talking about the genealogy of David. So I want to show you some neat parallels between the story of Cain and Abel before we're going to read chapter five. Um, 
But I want to go through some parallels here that maybe you missed. But what we're seeing here in Genesis chapter 4 is basically a repackaged version of Genesis chapter 3 that we kind of overlook if we're not careful. Number one, there was a moral choice set before them, both Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Then there was like a personification and a craftiness of sin in the adversary. Remember God said to Adam and Eve that the, the, the snake is crafty, and then he said sin is crouching. Then there's the grievous sin in both stories. Then there's this confrontation by God, right? What does God say to Adam and Eve? What have you done? Genesis 3.13. What is this you have done, he says. And then we go back over to Genesis chapter 4, verse 10. He says, what have you done? Same exact words. Which to me speaks of God's merciful nature. That when we commit this grievous sin, he comes to us and he gives us an opportunity. He says, what have you done? Gabe Rutledge, what have you done? And then we have a choice, don't we? We can double down on our sin or we can make that confession, right? And we have that opportunity for for confession. And then next we have, if we double down, what do we have? The exile. Genesis 3.23. Go look at that real fast with me. Genesis 3.23. Therefore, Adonai, God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Now look at 4.16. So Cain left the presence of Adonai and lived in the land of Nod, wandering east of Eden. And then we have continued moral decay. These parallels are so important for us to understand and to see because these parallels are not obsolete and these cycles are not obsolete in the course of human history, are they? Not at all. We're going to read Genesis 5 and then I'm going to go through some lessons that I learned. Now, a lot of this is, um, a lot of this is genealogy, so bear with me the names. I'm going to botch um, and a lot of it's kind of dry to read, but I just committed to read, you know, all of Genesis as we do this study word for word. So just follow along. Genesis chapter five. Here is the toldot of Adam. On the day that God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. and He blessed them and he called them Adam, humankind or man on the day they were created. Can I pause here and ask a question? Um, many people in anti-apologists for the Bible, people that are atheists that will attack the the validity of the Bible, they'll go back to the story of Cain. Now look at me with verse 19, uh, Genesis 4, 19. I'm taking a little bit of a detour here, but Genesis 4, 19, it says, um, well, actually, we can go back up to 17. Cain had sexual relations with his wife. Now, pause a second. Where did he get this wife from? So you're saying his sister. Any other theories? Yeah. I'm going to suggest that perhaps there were other human beings that were created. Possibly other human beings. So, so look at, um, back up to Cain's curse now. He says, I'll be a fugitive wandering the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Wait a second. How many people are on the earth at this point? Not me. Who's going to find him and kill me? It's like Adam and Eve and that's it. So we have a couple different theories here, and I'm going to give you some theories to, 
to maybe help answer this question, because this is often used to attack the validity of the Bible, like I said. Number one theory could be, if you back up and look in Genesis 1, it says in verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in the image of ourselves. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and so on and so forth. So he's speaking with plural language there in Genesis 1. He's yet to create Eve. Some people might say, well, there is possibly humans that were created. Um, and then later in chapter 2, he creates Adam and Eve as almost like a priestly kind of people group. He pulls them apart and makes them like someone who's going to carry the legacy, or the, his name into the earth and be kind of a priestly couple. Um, and so there were people that were already propagating by the time that Adam and Eve came along. That, that answers some questions for me and then raises others for me. Another theory is that um, Adam's going to live, I think, around 800 more years and continue to have more and more children. And so that maybe um, these people or maybe the, peop- the person that Cain ends up marrying is somehow a descendant of all those people. I mean, think of 800 years of continuing to procreate. Um, America has been a country for like 200 plus years. So times that by four. And how many people can that produce and how far can you get down in terms of away from uh, being committing uh, incest or something? Um, that's a possibility. And the third possibility, and the one I like the least, is that he just married one of his sisters. Um, but that's not very kosher. I don't, I, don't, I don't know that I like that one. So I typically go with one of the other first two that I mentioned. I just wanted to share that with you guys um, in case you ever are tested on that. Those are, those are some possibilities. And don't, uh, don't forget, it's always okay just to say, I don't know. <laughs> but it doesn't change the fact that there is a creator, right? So let's keep going here. We're in chapter 5, um, verse 3. After Adam lived 130 years, he fathered a son like himself, and he named him Sheth. So again, this is like pointing to the fact that now Seth is going to be the one that through whom the Redeemer is going to come. It's like himself. He gives it a special qualifier there. And after Seth was born, Adam lived another 800 years. There it is. And he had more sons and daughters. In all, Adam lived 930 years and he died. And Seth lived 105 years and fathered Enosh. After Enosh was born, Seth lived another 807 years and had sons and daughters. And I've got a chart up here. You guys can see, I know it's really small for you to be able to see, but basically Adam is up here. And Abraham is down here. Adam is at the top. Abraham's at the bottom. So in the flood is this line right there. Can you guys see that? So that gives you an idea. So look at that as we're reading. You can see who's that overlapping with who. So how far is Abraham detached from eyewitness accounts of what Adam saw, for instance? And it said, Enosh, verse 9, lived 90 years and fathered Kenan. And after Kenan was born, Enosh lived another 815 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Enosh lived 905 years, then he died. Kenan lived 70 years and fathered Mahalal. Mahalalel. And after Mahalalel was born, Kenan lived another 840 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Kenan lived 910 years, and then he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and fathered Yared. After Yared was born, Mahalalel lived another 830 years and had sons and daughters. In all, he lived 895 years and then died. Yared lived 162 years and fathered Hanok. After Hanok was born, Yared lived 800 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Yared lived 962 years, then he died. Hanok lived 65 years and fathered Metushalach. 
And after Matushalak was born, Hanok walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Hanok lived 365 years. Hanok walked with God, and then he wasn't there because God took him. Matushalech lived 187 years and fathered Lemech. After Lemech was born, Matushalech lived 782 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Matushalech lived 969 years and then he died. Lemech lived 182 years and fathered a son, whom he called Noach, which means restful one. For he said, this one will comfort, there's a play on words there, in our labor and in the hard work we do with our hands to get what comes from the ground that the Lord cursed. And after Noah was born, Lemech lived 595 years and had sons and daughters. In all, Lemech lived 777 years and then he died. Noah was 500 years old and Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Yafet. So genealogies are so important because it's so important that we follow this line down to get to whom? Yeshua, the snake crusher, right? Now, Genesis chapter four, to me, has a lot of firsts in it as well, just like Genesis one, two, and three did. Can you guys find some firsts in Genesis chapter four? What are some first occurrences or first this or first that that you saw? First murder, yeah, good. Anything else? First offerings, yeah, I heard both of you say that. Anything else? First banishment. Uh, not the first banishment, because Adam and Eve were, yeah. The first city, good. First what? First mark, yeah, yeah, on someone, yeah. The first procreation and birth, yeah. Anything else? Michael's thinking over there. What about this? The first time that God's name is used by itself. Remember up until this point, we had, we had um, yud Hey vav Hey elohim and here it's just singular, just by itself. Anything else? We have the first song. Yeah. First time we see polygamy. Yeah. Exactly. First time we see an unauthorized form of worship. Mm. We see the first brothers, don't we? We see the first expression of emotion. The first expression of emotion. What is that emotion? It's Cain, and what is that emotion? Jealousy. Jealousy and then anger, right? So it's important that we look at these first and we, we look for these first all throughout the story and the themes of Scripture as they continue on. They're going to be very prevalent. Now, some lessons that I extracted from chapter 4 and 5 are this. The cycles of moral choices... And disobedience and attempts for self-atonement or excuses and exile, they are very repetitive through the pages of Scripture, aren't they? And human history. This cycle is also prevalent in our lives on an almost daily basis. What did I say you were born to do? Choose. You were put on this earth to choose. And every day is a series of choices strung together Day in and day out, you make about 10,000 little choices every single day. Some of them are big, some of them are little. And you should be asking yourself, if the pages of Scripture are correct and sin crouches at my door, what are some doors in my life next to which it is crouching? Hmm. 
First Peter 5.8 says, stay sober. So I'm echoing Peter. Stay sober. Stay alert. Your enemy, the adversary, is stalking you like a roaring lion, seeking whom it may devour. So what are some doors in your life? Now, here are some doors in, in my life. And I would go stand to reason that these are doors in your life as well. The internet and every device connected to it. An extramarital relationship or friendship with the opposite sex. Being daily surrounded by people who are not followers of Messiah. Desiring a comfortable life when there is no want, where there is no want or discomfort. Seeking a certain social status or position that is respected by others. Now, are any of these intrinsically bad? No. In fact, many of these things are good. And they can bring you great joy and satisfaction and better your life. But what are they? They're doors. And you can use them to further the, the, the kingdom of Yeshua, or you can walk out of one of these doors and then sin jumps you. And before you know it, you're being clawed to death by that, that lion, that hungry lion that has a desire to eat you. So stay sober and stay alert. That sin is crouching. Do very practical things. Like my boys were running around the house last night. And Eli would, um, he would make the uh, motion sensor light come on before coming around to the next shadow. <laughs> and guess what? I was laying there cold, crouching by the door and in the shadow, waiting for Eli and Micah to run by. And the, the motion sensor light kicks on. And I'm like laying there. And I'm just like a, a, a shivering buffoon laying there in the grass, like in the, in the dark. And I'm just like, oh. And then Eli goes, Ha <laughs> Dad, we can see you, right? It's like he's illuminated by the thing. I'm like, I'm like, no, maybe he's just, maybe he's just bluffing. Maybe he doesn't see me. He's like, Dad, you're laying there under the porch. I can see you. And I'm like, ah, oh, and start running after him. You know, it doesn't work. And he's like, takes off. But yeah, do very practical things in your life. Be aware of the fact that, man, these are possible like doors in my life that if I step through, it might bring me great joy and fulfillment and better my life and better the life of people around me. But also, sin is right there. And if I'm not careful, it can be used to do some very destructive things in my life and the lives of people around me. So we've got a couple minutes. What are some lessons or some questions that you might have from uh, Genesis chapter 4 and 5? Anybody? Yeah. Who took care of the sheep once uh, Abel had died? That's another thing, too. Yeah, it's like that's what sin produces, right? Is it scatters a flock? And um, how, many, how many shepherds, just even in the Christian faith, do you see that um, rise to a place of prominence? And, um, you know, they come to a place where sin gets them or someone else gets them or whatever. And, yeah, what happens is it, it scatters the flock. So I don't, I don't know. It's kind of so. interesting how in uh, Egypt, in Goshen, they, the Egyptians did not look favorably on uh, shepherds. And, mm. uh, but yet in Abel... It was faithful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Xavier. Uh, first of all, good teaching. I always appreciate the pointers against, you know, those who would try to discredit the Bible. Yeah, um, thank you. I just have a, a thought on uh, whether there were other people around or not. Yeah. Some of the Hebrew, maybe, uh, hopefully, as my Hebrew teacher, you're not shamed by my appreciation. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it says that Eve was the mother of cold high. Mm-hmm. All life, yeah. So it seems to me that that rules out there being other people. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, perhaps um, 
Yeah, who, who he took had to have been a descendant of Eve, yeah. So, yeah, good point. Thank you. Yeah, Crystal. Is it possible that the, even though they were of the, the same genetic line, could they have not been considered brothers and sisters if there was a huge age range and they were living in different groups, different communities, even though they came from the same, they all came from Eve, but they weren't considered brothers and sisters, they were considered this community, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it could have been to the point where it was like cousins and second and third cousins. Um, yeah, so I don't know if there was like a social element to family relations in addition to biological, and so maybe they were so removed from the social component that they weren't really looked at as relatives. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's a good point. So, uh, yeah, a lot of hands today. That's excellent. We'll go Tanya and then Brian, and yeah, that's great. Yeah, but, Yeah. than what we have now and I just think because of sin our lifespans have been shortened yeah and you see that reading the genealogy don't you you see them being shortened over time yeah. the other thing was just about um, I don't know if it's true or not maybe those in the medical field could say but where it says uh, the voice of your brother's blood is mm. crying out to me from the ground mm-hmm. I've heard that there's actually instruments that when a person is dying you can hear cries coming from mm. the blood interesting yeah, I've never heard that Ooh. That would be interesting. Thank you for sharing. Brian. All right. Um, in verse, oh, wow, so, oh, verse 1 of 4, um, you know, I want to try to read the Hebrew. It says, Baha Adam Yada et Hava Ishto. And that word mm-hmm. Ishto is, the root word is Isha. Mm-hmm. But Ishto. Isha both mean burnt offering as well as wife. So hmm. what is the... I've never heard that. Yeah. Safari. Yeah. <laughs> really? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And so that's Interesting. I have never ever heard that. Yeah. It says uh, one definition is burnt offering. The other is uh, wife. Interesting. So there's that connection. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Tanya's going to watch her back a little more closely then. Yeah. <laughs> It's like Tanya makes a lot of burnt offerings, but I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I, I don't know. I thought maybe you might have. I don't. I, I, I saw that this week and I was like, that is. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I don't know. I, um, I can't say anything to that because I never ever heard that. That's really interesting. Yeah, share that with me. So, uh, Michael, I see your hand. Um, yeah, so going back to um, the where did King find a wife thing is also after the flood, mm-hmm. it was just Noah and his family. There was nobody mm-hmm. Yeah, we're kind of back to the same conundrum then. So what, what do they do? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I, I had his hand up first, and I'll go to Martin. Go ahead, Jason. Well, I know that uh, and you have to kind of look into that. I know that there is this, this idea out there of genetic load. Yeah. Where, mm-hmm. where it may not have been an issue at the time. Right. You know, we're kind of pre-law in, in some ways. You know, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, I'm not an expert on it by any stretch of imagination, but yeah, I've heard that it's not the act of incest that is that, but it's the repetitive, um, uh, multi-generational um, 
over and over. Over and over, that brings a lot of the physical ailments and stuff that we see. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, mutations and things like that. So I, I don't know. But um, yeah, Martin. Yeah, but I, but I read somewhere where after the flood, that's when people started living longer Much shorter, lives. yep. Because yeah. that, the flood was a product of sin. It said there was mm-hmm. another layer of water up over the Perhaps, yeah. Area, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. That's some, some like creation scientists will say there's maybe like, like an envelope of water that kind of compressed the atmosphere and created more but of an oxygen content. And uh, the alder key. Yeah. The water above the water, yep. Good. Any other questions? Yeah, Miss Joanne. Uh, in regard to the length of life and the shortening of life, before the sin, they were eating of the tree of life after mm-hmm. Eve. Yeah. And apparently, I think that whatever is in the tree of life that has a nutrient. Yeah. He passed on to his son, and he was passed on. Yeah, and that could be. Sure, and that could be looked at on a physiological level, but also maybe a spiritual level too. In that, you know, when people groups eat the, from the tree of life, it it prolongs their lifespan. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Miss Barbara. I wanted to uh, just share something about the, the sacrifices. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's no like place in the scripture we talked about how they do the sacrifices. You know, just all of a sudden we see two Yeah, they come out of nowhere, yeah.
Abel was hated by his brother for no cause, and so was Jesus in John 15. He was the object of his brother's jealousy in Matthew 27. Mm. And he was violently slain by his brother, Acts yeah. 2.22, he talks about Jesus' death. And then he's offered, he offered an acceptable sacrifice, Jesus in Ephesians, and Yeshua. Yeah, yeah. Well, then even, yeah, even to the point where you have Barabbas and Yeshua of Nazareth and the people of the garden, so to speak, the people of the presence are given a choice and they make the wrong choice, right? And um, yeah, it's like the, that, same, that same dilemma of, of Genesis 3. And we're going to see that just repeated through the pages of scripture. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in other words, he didn't just like, oh, that squash looks pretty good. Yeah. He, like Abel went out and he found the nicest of his flock that he'd been working hard to rear and protect and feed. And he's like, you're the one, right? And yeah, which is a definite picture of, of Yeshua. Sure. So let's join. And he also offered the fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, when Adam and Eve sinned, and at first they did not, they were afraid, as Adam said, I didn't come because I was afraid. I didn't. <coughs> but I did. Yeah. Why did you hide? Because I was naked. Have you eaten of the fruit I told you not to? Mm. And then. He had to institute that somehow, yeah. the term husbandry, animal husbandry. Should focus on that as well.
Yeah. And a lot of people will come into our congregation sometimes and they mean well and they, their hearts are pure. They'll say, you know, I've been reading the book of Jubilee or Enoch or whatever, Jasher. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting stuff, but you just be careful. You know, and that might, it, those books sometimes make attempts to fill in all those gaps. But, um, I mean, I have such a hard time. I think I'll spend the rest of my life just taking the page of these <coughs> scriptures here and these commands and these precepts and applying them to my life let alone you know all that other stuff and i just need to spend more time meditating and applying this stuff so very good points yeah you're absolutely right absolutely right thank you yeah i did find it interesting that cain followed the example of adam and eve when adam and eve sinned and god asked they didn't say lord forgive me Mm -hmm. and when cain murdered abel he never asked god for forgiveness Mm. But he did ask him, you know, to spare me. For mercy. Yeah, yes, for mercy. Yeah, good. Well, guys, thank you so much for all your, your comments and questions. If you have more comments or questions, I'll be right here for a little while. Just come see me. Um, great discussion, great time. Let's close in prayer, and um, we'll, we'll get ready to break bread together. Abba, Father, I thank you for your precepts, and thank you that your word is eternal and everlasting. Thank you that you are a merciful God that confronts us in sin, asks us what we did, and gives us an opportunity to confess and repent. May you continue to confront us. May we continue to feel shame for when we trespass your law and trespass your word. May you conform us every day to be more and more like Yeshua, the ultimate sacrifice who was slain on our behalf, to reverse the curse of sin and death. And it's in his matchless name I pray. Amen. Amen.